Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Thank you for that, Pastor Phil. Come on, put our hands together for Pastor Phil as he comes. Thanks, Philly. Thank you. The truth is, the longer the introduction, the more in trouble you feel you are. Um, and, uh, but it is lovely to be with you this morning. It is a deep honor, and I am deeply honored to be here. I'm privileged. The worship was brilliant. Well done, you guys. Judith, um, such an anointing on the way you led this morning. I got a picture of you when you were leading, of loads of little ones around you. And I felt like the Lord was saying, what you carry, you should train. What you carry, you should train and equip. So, because um, um, it's, it's, sometimes it's easy to worship with our voice and not with our body. And um, I think you did that all this morning with your expression. And um, so it was so encouraging, and I loved it. So train others, equip the next generation. That's what's good to do. Um, we're coming out of whatever the last two years was. Um, does anybody really know? And we're heading into something. Does anybody really know? Um, because um, normal isn't really out there anymore. What we left isn't what we're back to. Um, things are different. Life changes. And, um, and you can prepare for the future, or you can just allow it to happen. That's the truth. Um, but before, before the world could be won for Jesus, there had to be an upper room. There had to be an upper room. Before ever the, the world was um, reached for Jesus, and Alpha is such an incredible tool. And if you haven't already invited someone, you need to invite someone to Alpha tonight. It's an incredible—make make, give Philly a hard time. Make him go order some more pizza, all right? Because this is an incredible tool. We have run something like 15 to 20 Alphas, and we've never done one that people haven't got saved. So it is one of the most incredible tools, I think, in the church today as regards evangelism. So um, it's really important. So it's important for us coming out of whatever we're coming out of and going into whatever we're going into that we understand what we're carrying. Because as I said before, the world could be reached for Jesus. There had to be an upper room. There had to be an experience with the Holy Spirit that changed. As a matter of fact, Jesus was so emphatic about this that He actually said, don't dare do this without waiting. You need to wait until this happens. However long that might take, you need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you before you go out. You need to be endued with power from on high. I'm shocked and a little bit dismayed as I get older at how many Christians I run across that don't understand the daily rhythm of experiencing God. They don't have what we would have called a quiet time, a time where we establish a relationship with God. I hear people say things like, please, I hope this doesn't offend in any shape or form, but I hear people like saying, well, my quiet time is I put my ear pods in and I walk and listen to music. And I love that. That's a great thing to do. But I think if I wanted to have an intimate relationship and conversation with my wife, and I were to say, excuse me, just while we're talking about this really intimate stuff we're talking about, I'm going to listen to some music. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work, all right? And so, it, it is what it is. 
but it's not what you think it is. And so it's really important that we understand relationship with God. My friend, I was a lorry driver, long-distance lorry driver for 20 years, and hence my perfect body shape. And uh, I, uh, I, I had a friend, a really good friend, who lost his leg in an accident. Lost his leg really high up, so he had no stump to swing the artificial limb. And so when he got his artificial limb, it was all straps and that sort of stuff, and he walked with a really severe limp, so he walked a bit like this here, and he couldn't um, swing his leg. And so uh, um, he had a big family, and when his little boy came along, I was talking to him one day, and he says, Phil, the funniest thing is, he says, my wee boy has just turned one, and he started to walk, and he's walking like this. So his little boy of one is walking about with this severe limp. Of course, there had a bit of work to do there. But the reason he was doing that was the model that he treasured most was walking like that, and so he thought he should just walk like the model he treasured most. My fear is today that there are so many models out there. Talking to Philly about this at the start, there are so many models and structures of church out there that we could model instead of actually going back to what the Bible actually says, look in what the Scripture sets out before us as the, the true way. And unless we go back to this, what we do is we, we end up following a model that actually isn't the true thing. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about waiting. I want to talk to you a little bit about your upper room. If you've got a Bible or an app on your phone, if you look up Mark 5, um, I'm going to read um, quite a lengthy little portion from 21 to 46, just, um, and it's a story that most of you in the room will probably have heard before, but let's read it together. I'm reading from the NIV, verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. Um, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered there and around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power and virtue had gone from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see all the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James, who is the brother of James. 
And when they came to the home of the synagogue later, Jesus saw a commotion um, and people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and within where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Lord, we thank you that you're always faithful to the public reading of your word, and we know that today is no different. We say, speak, Lord, for your sons and your daughters are listening. Amen. I love this story. I love it um, because it's a very powerful story. Um, Waiting on the Lord is probably one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Um, It's uh, Jesus promised He would return, and He instructed his disciples to go and find this upper room and to wait. Not a word that we like. It's easier said than done because it arises all kinds of questions like, what do we do in the meantime? Is it an armchair wait? Do we just lie back and wait? Or is it an active wait? Do we do something while we're waiting? Waiting on the Lord requires trust. It requires, it reminds us that we're not in control and He is. And yet, waiting in general is tough. We all wait somewhere, don't we? We wait in traffic. We wait in airports. We wait in the checkout at Tesco's. We wait in the doctors. We wait for our spouse. We wait for retirement. We wait for a baby. We wait for the preacher to dry up and quit. We wait for Jesus to return. We wait on all of these things. And as we face the future, it's a good idea to ask yourself, what is going on around me, and what is going on inside me? What's going on around me at the minute, and what's going on inside me? In our reading today, we have a man called Jairus, who was a a ruler of a synagogue who had to wait. And let's look and see what we can learn from him today. He would have been responsible for organizing the worship. He would have been responsible for making sure the, the school program and the kids got taught. He would, have been, he would have been very close to the Pharisees. It wouldn't be outlandish to think that the Pharisees had probably forewarned him about this man, Jesus. They'd probably told him to have nothing to do with him. But for him to come and fall at Jesus' feet and plead with Jesus took a lot of guts. But then desperate times call for desperate measures, and every parent in here will understand the desperate cry my little girl is dying. His cry was to come, for Jesus to come and lay his hands on her so that she might be whole and might be healed. It was a very strong statement, and obviously Jairus had seen or at least heard, if not seen, some of Jesus' miracles. And we're told in verse 24 of what reading is that Jesus went with him. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Jairus has just got the full attention of the Savior of the world. He's got the full attention of the greatest physician ever to walk planet earth, none other than Jesus Christ himself. And so they set off to Jairus' house, and this is where our story takes a sudden shift. A sick woman interrupted them on the way to Jairus' house, and this woman who touched Jesus, we're told, drew virtue from him, 
And this is where the disciples would ask that age-old question, who touched me? And, or, uh, you know, or Jesus would ask that question, who touched me? And the disciples would say, how, how, how do you come up with a statement like that? The people are around you everywhere. You see, it's a bit of a silly question until you begin to realize that it's easy to hang around Jesus and not touch him. It's easy actually to be in, his, in the vicinity of Jesus and not draw virtue to him. Because you see, if you, you get the benefits of hanging around him without the cost of touching him. And so many people in the church today, are, 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 they, they're getting the benefits of hanging around. Hence that little verse that says, in the end times when Jesus comes, they'll say, but Jesus, we, we cast out demons in your name. We worshiped in your house. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. See, it's easy to go into society tomorrow and say we were in R8 and our church, we, we have Alpha, we, did, we had Alpha, we had 105 people come to Alpha, we. And Jesus says, what about you? What about you? What way are you? I never knew you. And you see, when we receive virtue from Jesus, when we touch Jesus and draw something out of Him, it alters our lifestyles. It begins to alter how we live. If you touch Him with intention, your life will change. And so, Jesus is calling His church at the moment, I believe, into a narrow way. It says, broad is the way. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. And I haven't time to do it this morning, but I could argue you, I think, very validly from Scripture that that's not just talking about unbelievers. I think there are many believers today who are on a broad road. They don't count the cost of true discipleship because narrow is the way to true discipleship. And in a narrow way, you can't carry baggage. There's no room for baggage. It's just you alone with Him. And so, um, this woman was in for change. She'd had enough. She'd had enough of the wide road. This was her last chance dance. And so, um, um, she was in it for all that she had. And usually what happens here, usually what the preacher does right now is we shift the camera and we narrow the lens and we go in and we look at this woman and we look at all the things she did. What I want to do this morning, I want to widen the lens out again and I want us to try and keep our eye on Jarius. I want us to try and find him in this crowd where all of a sudden, where he had the full attention of Jesus, he had a full attention of the master of the universe, and all of a sudden he's got pushed into the sidelines. This woman is now the center of attention, and the crowd has gathered round, and Jarius has got pushed out. I wonder what was going on in his mind. I'd love us to try and find him this morning. I wonder what was going on in his mind at this moment. His world is crumbling by the second. All the prestige and position matters not at this time. His little girl is dying. His, every parent, as I say, can feel the pain of that this morning. What would you be thinking? You just acquired the, 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 the top surgeon in his class, and he's coming to your little girl, your little one, and all of a sudden somebody sidetracks him. Come on, Jesus, you'd be saying. Time is, is, is of the essence. What are you doing? Don't talk to them. I need you. He's cramping inside. He's on the periphery of this crowd. I can feel his angst. I can feel the pain in his chest. Have you ever found yourself in a place where all began to break down in your world because Jesus wasn't working to your time schedule? 
all began to break down because Jesus got sidetracked on the way to yours. <laughs> Someone interrupted him and he got waylaid. He got off track a little bit. Oh, yes, you've trusted him as your Savior. You're a follower of Jesus. But if you're honest, there's at times if Jesus had just been a little bit quicker, things might have been different. If Jesus just hadn't got sidetracked or distracted with someone else, then let's face it, it would be different. And it's difficult to celebrate when he's working somewhere else and he's not working with you. It's difficult to celebrate somebody else's great success when your world is falling apart. That's hard. He could be doing it right beside you. Jarius is here. This woman's getting touched here, but he's cramping inside. His world is falling apart. This woman's getting blessed. This woman's getting miraculously set free after 12 years of bleeding, and he is here, and his world is falling. You see, it could be happening right beside you, but if your crisis is big, it's hard to see anything else. Actually, when your crisis becomes bigger than your Christ, that's when we get sidetracked and blinded. And I can remember in my deepest days of tragedy, I remember actually beginning to pray to God, God, if you could just get my eyes turned outward, if you could just get my eyes to see others again. You see, we live by calendars and clocks and alarms, but not Jesus. He created time. He was before time. He will be when time is no more. He does not work to our time schedule, and that's why we get frustrated sometimes. This is what David was meaning when he was hiding in the caves and the mountains whenever his madman father-in-law was sitting in the palace, and he cried this. It'll be on the screen, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? forever? That's such a question for the sweet psalmist of Israel, isn't it? And, um, but then someone comes and tells Jarius, this is the interesting bit, your little daughter is dead, don't need to trouble the master anymore. Can you imagine Jarius's feelings right now? If only it went, if only it went another way, if only it took the ring road and hadn't went through town, or this always happens to me, it always seems to get so far, but not far enough. It always seems that somebody else gets more blessed than I do. It always works for them. That's just my luck. Just never works for me. I knew he wouldn't come on time. Maybe this is what Martha was thinking in John eleven twenty one when her brother Lazarus died. And um, she says to Jesus, if you had him in here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, why did, why did you wait four days? Why didn't you just come when you were called? What took you so long to show up? That's my interpretation of that verse. You see, the eternal purposes of God are not ours to understand. Um, and, and in the middle of this, when, 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 when he gets the news that his little girl's died, I don't know where he was in the periphery of the crowd, but Jesus catches his eye contact. And through the people, through the, through the bulk of people, he says to Jairus, eyes locked, and he just says, don't fear, just believe. If I could look each of you in the eye this morning and say, whatever is going on, don't be afraid, just believe. 
Don't be afraid of the time schedule or the time lapse. Just believe. I decided long ago that when my mind, and I got a new Bible, by the way. The reason I got a new Bible is, this is a sidetrack, but the reason I got a new Bible is that I'd left my old Bible on the roof of my car. <laughs> and went back into the house to get something and then went to Belfast to visit somebody and the Bible was no longer on the roof of the car. Now, that sounds a funny story, but I've told this to our church and the emails I got of people who left things on the roof of their car, like laptops, mobile phones. But you know the funniest one? This wasn't funny at the moment, but it's funny now. This guy went to lift his sister's wedding cake on the morning of their wedding, and he set the wedding cake on the roof to go in and do something, and any brides in here, what would you do to your brother? Judith, what would you do? So, uh, right back onto the journey. Okay, so new Bible. I decided that, I decided that, um, I decided I'm hard to get used to a new Bible because I'm so used to my old one, but I decided when this gets into an argument with this, I'm going to go with this. When my mind and this get into an argument, I'm going to go with the Word because, you see, we are somewhere in the middle of a world pandemic, hopefully emerging from what thousands of people died from horrible COVID-19. But many of you are in a personal crisis as well, trying to look after elderly parents, dealing with depleting finances, coming to terms with a bad medical report. I don't know parenting kids that are now feeling the pangs of social tensions um, waiting through a mental health crisis that just seems to get bigger and bigger. What do you do when God doesn't turn up in time? What do you do with a disobedient God? What do you do with a disobedient God? What do you do with a God that doesn't do what you tell Him when you tell Him? What do you do with a God like that? Well, you trust Him. You trust Him. That's what you do. That's what you do. You trust Him because, and there are three things really quickly just to highlight this and land it that I would love you to learn from the life of Jairus. The first one is you need to consider your posture. When you come before God, you need to consider your posture and because you are not in control. And just in case you thought you are, you're not. Jarius was a leader. He could have come with status. He could have come with money, persuasive language to um, God. But no, you see, he's in crisis and if there's one thing that I've learned over the years, it's this, that crisis humbles you. You're not as big and smart as you think you are. Crisis makes you realize what's really important. Jarius's credibility, his money, all the things that were important to him yesterday are on the low rungs of the ladder today because there's something about humility that will position you in the presence of God. Peter would say it this way in 5, in 1 Peter 5, 5, he would say, clothe yourself with humility. Not beautiful? Clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Not lovely? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may lift you up in due time, in due time, in due time, not your time. In due time, cast all your anxiety in Him because He cares for you. So humility, posture is the first one. The second one is consider the promise. Consider God's promises. Some of you have long since given up on the promise of God. I, I stood in a little bridge on the way home from school as a boy of 11. That's where I had my first encounter with God. I got saved when I was six. I grew up in a brethren home. 
<coughs> great family, great teaching. When I was 11, walking home from school, there was a little bridge between two hills, and I would stop there um, to kill a bit of time. My dad owned his own business, and he always had something for you to do when you went home, and so I would kill a bit of time there, throw stones into a little river, and it was there that God began to speak to me. It was there, actually, I learned a language to connect to him because I found that my English language wouldn't do it, and I'd never read about speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, I, I, I knew whatever was going on with this language, I knew not to tell my parents because I think they would have locked me up. But, <clears throat> um, and that's where I learned that. And I, 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 here's the thing. I thought because God spoke to me then that things would begin to happen tomorrow. That's what we do. When God gives us a promise, we think it's going to happen right away. It was 27 years. I was 38 when I planted Emmanuel. 38 and 11, work out the mass before I saw it coming to pass in any shape or form, and some of it still hasn't come 50-plus years on. If you're waiting, you see, you're in good company because Joseph waited 17 years. Paul waited 14 years. On and on I could go. Abram waited 20 years on the promise of God. Jesus waited 30 years. There's a golden rule in the kingdom of God, and this is the golden rule. Delay is not denial. That's the golden rule. There's a gap theory, you see. And I wish somebody had told me this. I'm 64 this year. I know I don't look at it. I'm only like 29. But um, I, I wish somebody had told me this all of these years ago. I wish somebody would have told me that when God gives a promise that there could be a gap until the fulfillment of the promise. We tend to think it's right away, right away, right away, because we live in that instant society, don't we? We live come on, come on, come on. Like I drove through McDonald's on the way here to get a flat white. Like I spoke it into a little speaker, drove around, and somebody just handed it out the window. Just like that, as quick as you could say, Jack Robinson. Pretty cool, isn't it? But that's the world we live in. And we, we expect that from God. We say, God, give me a flat white, and we want it right away. And it's this sort of and, and so it's really important. Stand on the promise of God. He never breaks a promise. Stand Start to look at life with an eternal perspective. Think that it's more than just whatever you have here on life. And if you're standing waiting on your three score years and ten, that's not a biblical promise, all right? We quote it all the time. It's an Old Testament. It was quoting the story of Moses in the Psalms. And so, as they were quoting the story of Moses in the Psalms, they said three score years and ten, because God reduced the age to 70 so that everybody over 40 that was wondering that had sinned in the wilderness would die in the next 40 years. That's where the three score years and ten come from. So, we take it out of context all the time. My wife died at 47. I, I, I buried little babies. You see, the, the New Testament says your life's a vapor that appears for a little while. So you were never promised three score years and ten. We take it out of context all the time. Life's a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes forever. But there's an eternity, you see. And sometimes we miss the eternal perspective of what life is. Consider your posture. Consider God's promises. Lastly, consider your friends. I... Uh, I love that when Jesus comes to the house and he says she's only sleeping, it says they laughed at him. And I love the next line. It says, after he put them all out. <laughs> you laugh at Jesus, boom. He just puts them out. 
and he brings in the father and the mother. He brings in Peter, James, and John, and he takes her by the hand, and he says, little girl, I say to you, get up, and we're told immediately the little girl stood up and walked around. Listen to me carefully as we bring this into land, will you please? These are life lessons today. When you're in crisis, you will need people walking with you that believe God with you and maybe even for you. There's been times in my life I didn't even know how to pray or what to pray. And I say this to people all the time in the crisis. You don't need to pray. You don't need to pray. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. In the deepest parts of your life, you'll need people that will, will push you through or pull you through and if needs be, drag you through. And I'm here today, a testimony to that of people who stood by me and pulled me through whenever it was time to give up. And I tell you another thing, I've learned this in life, that mourning and hope can live together. If you're grieving in here today, I'm testimony to mourning and hope can live together. I lost five of my nearest and dearest people in three years. I lost my wife in 2006. I lost my dad in 2007. Al's wife died in 2007. Our worship leader, Garth, died in 2008. And my mom died in 2009. One after the other, one after the other, one after the other. And I think when I'm going to get home to heaven, I'm going to have a conversation with Jarius, and I know what he's going to tell me. He's going to tell me, I'm glad I held on to the truth in spite of the facts. Truth versus facts, or facts versus truth, whatever way you want to put it. And here's a little thing that I've done as I finished. Years ago, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, because it's according to the power that works in you. And then verse 21 says, to him be glory in the church. And um, I love that. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. And so after my wife died, I put together what I called a but list. The facts would say this, but the Word would say something else. And so here's a little bit of my but list. The fact is, and maybe for you this morning, things are really tough. Sin and temptation seek to demolish you. You're not sure how to keep going, but the truth is, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The fact is, I'm not sure I can do this on my own. The truth is, but the truth is, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The fact is, I am tired and don't feel like praising God, but the truth is, I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The fact is, you think the enemy is inflicting serious injury in you, but the truth is, no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. The fact is that you feel burned out and weary. The truth is, they that wait upon the Lord, they will rise up with wings as eagles. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not be faint. I'd have to stop soon because I'm running out of breath. But here the fact is, I've been crying myself to sleep at night, but the truth is, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The fact is, coronavirus has been sweeping the earth across the globe, causing havoc and dismay. But the truth is, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I want to say to you this morning, the king is still on the throne, my friends. He hasn't lost his power. 
Let's focus on the king upon the throne instead of Game of Thrones. Let's look at life is for real. Tough times will come. Loved ones will die. Yes, but eternity is real. Heaven is waiting. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. My little boy, whenever he was small on bin day, I put the bins out on Wednesday night. He used to say to me, Dad, can, can I help you put the bins out? And what was a one, two-minute job turned into a 15-minute job. But you know what you're like as a dad or a mom? Okay, son, let's go. Especially when it was the brown and green day, you had two to do. And so what I'd do, I'd go out to the bin, and I'd pull the bin down, and he would stand in between me. You see, here's the thing about it. Here, here's what I love about this. If, if the Apostle Paul was here today, he would put it like this. He would say, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has provided and put forth for him, for those that love him. If Moses were here today, he would say, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath you. And I love one of the versions says, Under, all around you and underneath you are the everlasting arms. And you see, my little boy, I would pull the bin down and he would stand in between me and he would wheel the bin, and I'd be round him like this, and, and he, we, we would wheel the bin out. You see, he thought he was carrying the bin, but he wasn't carrying the bin. He thought he was wheeling the bin, but <laughs> he wasn't wheeling the bin. And whatever you're going through in life at this moment in time, I want you to know that underneath you and all around you, are the everlasting arms. And you might think you're carrying the bin, but you're not carrying the bin. You might think you're wheeling this bin, but you're not wheeling the bin. As a child of God, He's got you. He's got you. He's got you. He's got this. And if you're on the periphery of the crowd this morning and you feel like you've watched so many women, men, touch Jesus' garment and get their moment, and you're standing out there and you're wondering, God, when are you coming to my house? You promised me all those years ago. You'd save my family. You promised me you'd do this. God, did I get that promise wrong? Maybe this morning you just need to eyeball the King of Kings and listen to his words. Don't be afraid. Just believe. God, as we see this word this morning to your will, we pray that every person in this room would find an upper room this morning. And if you haven't got one, can I suggest you that you go home and find it? That you go home and find a place where you could be comfortable, a place where you could sit. Should it be 10 minutes? It doesn't need to be hours. It just needs to be 10, 15 minutes. If you've never done it, don't overkill it. Just get into a place, some place where you anoint. Well, I've done years ago, I've anointed a, a chair in the corner of my living room. And every morning I go down to that chair and I, and yeah, I can walk. I can walk in the park and meet with God. 
I can walk in the park and look at nature and find God. No bother. I can go to Clare Glen and walk by the streams and, and sense God. I do that all the time. I love that. I love walking in nature and I love finding God in nature. But I found this through my experience of all of the years that I've followed God. I very seldom got a really strong directional word from God in those moments. Where I found it is that place where I kneel before Him in the morning, that place where I, 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 I've, I've anointed that place that I've segregated myself to say, this is the place. This is the place, God, where you and I are going to meet. This is the place where, where, where I'm going to commune with you. Do I always hear His voice? I, I journal a lot and I write some silly things, but um, sometimes I get up and I think, um, well, that was just okay. But I do it daily. Because you see, I can't remember what I ate last Wednesday, but it did me good, kept me alive. So sometimes you'll not remember. Sometimes, on some days, it'll be the most profound moment in life. You'll think, wow. This is, this, is, this is profound, and you'll journal it, and you'll never forget it. And then you maybe go for weeks, and you'll think, well, it was nothing special, but <sighs> kept the relationship alive. Kept the relationship alive. It's relationship. It's the same in your natural relationships. It's not always sparks and fireworks. It's just sometimes it's just mundane, but it's good. You need to work at it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.